Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Happy Wednesday. It's The Hash on Coindesk TV. You're joined by Zach Seward, Will Foxley, Wendy O, and Jen Sanasi. We're going to talk about some crypto stuff today, and Jen is going to lead off with the first story. Jen? Take it away. I am. So before we get into this disclosure, I am the co-founder of a company who is looking to address some of the licensing issues with NFTs. So my natural go-to will be to question every other product on the market. Let us get into it. So LimeWire is not the thing that you used to pirate music in the early 2000s anymore. It's an NFT marketplace, of course, on Algorand. And it's assigned a deal with Universal Music Group. So they're looking at content licensing. UMG artists can now offer audio recordings, audiovisual content, behind the scenes content, art and images as NFTs on LimeWire's marketplace to sell directly to fans and collectors. And I'm so sad Naomi Brockwell isn't here because we may finally get a Taylor Swift NFT. So we'll just all have to tweet her and let her know about this news because I think that she will be Static. Zach, I'm going to kick it off to you. I see Universal Music Group doing a bunch of things in the Web3 space, and it looks like they're not really slowing down just yet. They did a thing with, I think, Genies, the uh, avatar company. They've done a couple of other things. They filed for some trademarks for like its Bored Ape Yacht Club band. Remember that? They have a band from like Bored Ape NFTs. So UMG seems to have some real Web3 folks over there because they keep doing uh, interesting experiments. And I think what they're doing is they're saying, hey, Let's place a few bets on a few different things, a few different networks, a few different platforms, and we're going to see what sticks. If we think that Metaverse is the new way to engage the next generation of listeners, fans, media consumers, it makes sense that they'd be placing those bets now. And I think that they have not uh, lost their conviction. So it's interesting that they're teaming up with the ghost of LimeWire here, and I think we might see more news out of them in the future as well. But yeah, Web3, music, UMG, it's going down. I'll toss it to Wendy for her thoughts. I'm so, so excited you guys brought this story up. And I'm going to be aging myself here, but I remember LimeWire way, way back in the day, how much fun it was. That was how we got music because I grew up super poor. We didn't have money for CDs, any of that type of stuff. 
But the thing that like when I first heard that LimeWire was going to turn into like this Web3 music platform initially, I was like, okay, like, why are they doing this? But now, Jen, since you brought up like licensing for musicians and all of that, that's really one of the reasons why I'm truly passionate about NFTs is I see a lot of the underdogs being able to actually own their music, own their creations, have merchandising rights, have licensing rights, and being able to really break away from these predatory third parties. So I am absolutely over the moon. And I'm not exactly sure who's going to kind of come out on top, because I know there's a couple other platforms out here that are trying to do similar. But I'm excited to watch. And this just makes me very, very excited for the next five to 10 years in crypto or music. I'll pick it up. I'm interested to see how this rolls into where the record industry left off, right? People used to go and buy records. It'd be a big thing. You can still buy them today. Like you get like a commemorative edition with it, like a plaque, some maybe some extra songs. I don't know. You get like the whole CD case with it. There's a lot of those things that have been left on the sidelines because everything's gone digital and no one really cares about it at this point. And I think NFTs can maybe bring that back, or at least we've seen that this last year, people have thought about NFTs in a very similar way. You think about your board ape, you think about your PFP, whatever on Twitter, in the same manner, I own this good, I own this image, I associate it with this platform. Maybe the same thing happens with music, right? And I think it has happened to some degree, but maybe that cascades even further where there's a new album coming out from your favorite artist. And instead of getting a record that you can like physically own and put onto your bookshelf at home, you get an NFT that fits into like Spotify or fits into like, I don't know, title or something like that. It's just like, it, it comes along with it and shows that like you are part owner of that. And once we get into like more socialized music settings where people are like sharing the music they own, it could share that fact that you own the NFT for that, right? I mean, there's like a little star at the top saying like, you're listening to this song, you're sharing it on, with your Twitter friends or like your Instagram friends, and there's a little NFT information with it as well. So I think there is some other components to this story going forward that are going to be interesting. I don't know if I'd personally be caring that much. Like I'm like the, the cheap I guy. I think you are going to spend $10 care. a month on Amazon. Yeah, no, I don't care too much. I'm just going to listen to the music. But day, I think there are people out ever. there who do care about that a lot. So I will not, I uh, totally will not care. dismiss them. Yeah, I totally care. Everyone, everyone in everyone this likes column things, right? cares. Yeah, yeah th this column is winning. The other <laughs> column, column I'm not sure. <laughs> and Zach, too. I didn't say anything. What yeah. are you doing to me? The I didn't say anything. What are you talking about? Do you guys buy records? You know what? I do. I have over 500 records. Most of it is like old rock, old outlaw country punk, mm -hmm. jazz, all of that type of stuff. I love music. Like I'm a huge, huge music person. And I really didn't understand what NFTs were until a friend of mine was like, oh, well, if you're a musician, you can actually own your music. I'm like, oh my God, mm -hmm. all my Hollywood industry friends that weren't able to make it, they can finally make it because these communities are so strong. Like, especially on the streets of Hollywood Sunset Boulevard, like these little niches of like all these subgroups and music, very, very strong. And people will buy this stuff in my personal. Go ahead, Zach. I mean, shout out to Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings, first of all, because Outlaw and Country definitely rules. Second of all, I'll drink a little oh bit of the Kool-Aid here. I could see this working, right? You get the flywheel going of sort of like TikTok uh, musicians who sort of generate their own audience and they can work with these peer-to-peer -peer platforms, be it Sound XYZ or LimeWire or whatever. These music NFT things keep emerging. Maybe Audius becomes a bigger factor here. And I think what you're seeing with UMG is they're saying, Okay, well, maybe we want to get involved now before we're faced with major disruption down the road, right? This is all mm -hmm. early. The bear case for this is that no one really cares. They can just go on YouTube or they can go on Apple Music or they can go on Spotify. 
But the bull case, and especially if you're UMG and you're seeing these little micro niches pop up around you know the streets of LA, is saying, okay, and we should place a little bet here just in case this becomes a thing that unseats us the way the internet unseated the music industry back in the early aughts. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, interesting, potentially uh, foresighted by UMG, but still, obviously, this is super early. Jen, I'm tossing it to you. Yeah, I wonder about this licensing piece, though, right? We're talking about artists owning their music. And in the case of record labels, the record labels are actually the ones who own a lot of the creations of the artists who are under that label. And so I'm really curious to see what the business model is here, if the artists are actually going to get the revenues from these NFTs. I think it would be silly if they didn't. That would be like a really huge marketing fail. And so it would be, it will be interesting to see how this product rolls out. The second question I had when I read this story was, okay, this is great, but how are audiences going to find this product? And it reminded me of the Spotify story. We didn't talk about it on this show. It came out earlier this week, but Spotify is currently testing a product for artists to be able to show third-party NFTs and allow users on Spotify to access those third-party NFTs to purchase them. Spotify said that this is something that their industry partners have been asking for. So I think the industry is thinking about it in the right way. This is similar to what we saw with Instagram. And so, you know, we always say like, how are people going to find this? And it looks like the music industry is figuring it out. I don't know, Wendy, you're so passionate about this topic. Do you have any last thoughts seeing that Spotify has rolled out this feature that could potentially plug in? I absolutely love that Spotify is doing this because everybody uses Spotify. I use it. My daughter uses it. She's five. I know that's crazy, but everybody uses Spotify. So to have this option to be able to upload your NFTs or however they're going to sort it out and listen to you, the music that you own there, I think that's amazing. And another piece of information I want to leave before we head over to the next story is, at least in the movie industry, people sell movie rights on the back end, on the secondary market all the time. It's actually a very, very big industry, but nobody talks about it. And especially like Marvel, DC, Disney, like what they do is they create these movies whatever it is, and then they'll go ahead and sell those rights on the back end. Somebody will buy them, they'll hold on to them a little bit and then flip them when it starts to get more traction during a different cycle. And we see this with music too. And a lot of people don't understand. There's also, when we talk about there's licensing rights, there's also merchandising rights. So if you're a band and you have a t-shirt that says the hash on it, a predatory third party can come up to you and say, we want to buy your merchandising rights and we're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars. And a lot of musicians generally sell this and they're like, okay, I'm not going to become super famous, whatever. 10 years later, they're the next Led Zeppelin and they sold their licensing rights for $100,000, which in fact, if they would have kept it, they could have made millions and millions of dollars. And this did happen with the Ramones. So just a little bit of additional information coming from this. Are we starting a hash band? We are a band. Nope. We're definitely a band. We just don't <laughs> play music. Well, we spit bars. There's a podcast, podcast network. Anyway. Let's get into the next story. This story here, blockchain gaming developer Network Studios closes $46 million funding led by Griffith Gaming. And let's take a look at some of the additional pieces of information here. It was a Series A, and this is for two crypto native games that are going to be focusing on Web3. And as far as some additional stats in the top or in the story here, interest in blockchain gaming games has increased more than 2,000% in the last year and $3.5 billion invested in gaming the first quarter. So Network Studios was formed in January 2022 and includes veterans of EA, Zynga, Warner Brothers, and Disney. Jen, I think you should take this. Well, I have so many thoughts when it comes to blockchain gaming. 
So, okay, we had Axie Infinity, which was the major play-to-earn gaming story of last year, right? I think they had 2.7 million users, active users in December, and that declined to, I think, half, like one point something million dollars in March. And we talk about play-to-earn gaming, and we've really seen this uptake in, in developing countries where you're able to make money, and a lot of times that money is more than you would make at a minimum wage job. But when the markets take a downturn, you can no longer make that kind of money, right? And I think that that's reflective of the numbers we've seen in play-to-earn gaming. So we have those people who really take to these games because they can make a living off of play-to-earn gaming. Then we have the gamers who really attach to the narratives of climate concern. You know, they think crypto is super scammy. They don't believe in NFTs. They're going to lose all of their money. We saw a bunch of commentary come out of one of the gaming conferences earlier this year around that. And so all of this money pouring into blockchain gaming, I think we're going to get there, but I don't think we have the users yet. And so I really look forward to seeing how we market, how we get people to actually play these games so that there is a sustainable market. But that is my rant. Will, I think I saw your hand go up. Yeah, just to answer your question, the way you get people to play your game if it's play to earn is you do funding rounds and then you just farm that money out in tokens to anyone who plays your game. And that has been historically the way of doing it, right? But it dries out a certain point because they're trying to make this transition. They're trying to make a transition from attracting users by paying them out in crypto and then over time swapping it so there's a self-sustaining economy where players are paying each other. So, you know, you go to whatever like merchant store in your game, you buy something, so you're paying somebody else for whatever token they want with whatever like magical sword or whatever you want to use. And that's how it all works. You're trying to make a self-sustaining economy. These things take a lot of time and oftentimes they don't work at all. Axie Infinity is a great example of that. It's down over 87% in six months. Why? Well, because a lot of this game to earn stuff is still super new and it might not pan out because making that transition, sticking that landing from me playing, paying people to play using my VC round, actually getting players to pay each other to play the game, that's very, very difficult to undertake. A lot of times it just doesn't happen and it doesn't work. A lot of these games, I think, need a few more cycles to play out. I think it is an interesting idea, right? If you can get a self-sustaining economy going within the game, getting everybody to like pay each other to, to play with each other, then it's going to be fine. But right now, there isn't enough money to sustain 2.3 million people or whatever number you said, Jen, uh, to, to keep playing this game. Like VCs are going to run out of money at some time. Zach, I can give it to you. Well, not anytime soon, because A16Z also announced today that they were going to invest $600 million <laughs> okay, in Game 5, yes. a gaming fund. So, hey, there's at least that runway. But we should I think, start a game. Um, you know, we should start a game, and it could be hash to earn. All right, we'll do it. I think these games are going to rise and fall. Axie was the king, and it launched many other play-to-earn games uh, in its wake, but they've been kind of down lately. Not as much activity over there. Obviously, Will, you mentioned the token price. You've seen some other ones pop up, like Krabata over on Avalanche. I think we're going to see this cycle of like the hot game goes to the not game. In comes the next hot game. And hopefully these studios will be in the practice of trying to set up these economies at scale so that it works in a sustainable fashion and doesn't just go away when the token perks also go away. So I think, again, there seems to be a ton of money flowing into the space. And hopefully that will fund some experiments that ultimately find their legs for the long term. But I'm going to toss it to Wendy for the last word. In closing, price does not equate to utility. I'll say it again. Price does not equate to utility. I personally would rather play a game 
and earn 10 cents than spend my time playing a game and earn nothing. But would the well, gamers rather would. do that? They say no. I want to play a fun game. I want to play a fun <laughs> game. I think that's what it comes down to. I don't I don't care about making money at this point. I want to play a fun game. So I think adding money to it makes sense. Like most games have money in them at some point, right? RuneScape. Everyone loves RuneScape. And that was like the basis for all of these things was RuneScape. There's not like really actual crypto money in that like digital money. So I think there's a future for it. But right now it's it's bearish times. It's bearish times across the board. We should do game reviews. All right. We're going to talk about Robinhood. Their CEO, Vlad Tenev, looking longingly into his laptop. They announced yesterday that they're going to be making this standalone self-custodial crypto wallet that furthers Robinhood Crypto's ambitions to be a player in the Web3 space. Now, there's been a couple of little nuggets here on this front. We saw something from, I think it was Ledger yesterday. We saw a couple of advancements from Coinbase Wallet, their self-custodial offering. It's really interesting to see these big names get involved in making it easier for people to use their assets on-chain in truly crypto-native ways. I'm going to toss this straight to Jen for her initial thoughts on Robinhood's new wallet plans. Well, when I read this story, I thought about trust again, right? So when people get into crypto, they often do this, you know, on Robinhood or Coinbase. This is a name I think a lot of newcomers have come to trust. There's a lot of news about them. Their customer support is getting better and better. And so now I think if you want to participate in the fun world of DeFi and you're looking at what wallet to get, you might not have heard of MetaMask or Phantom, but Robinhood and Coinbase have been with you, you know, for your entire journey. And so I think they have maybe a little bit of a competitive advantage there when it comes to newcomers to the space. I wonder how MetaMask is going to respond to this. They raised a $450 million Series D round, well, Consensus, their parent company did earlier this year, and they said they were focusing on product development and user experience. And so I think that a fire has been lit under MetaMask, but, and I look forward to see what they come up with and if they can remain at the forefront of the wallet war. The wallet war, that's nice. The that's wallet nice. war. I love that. Yeah. Wallet war, it could be the new sports desk. Control, the name of our wallet band. war wipe. Put it on the to-do list. Mm. Okay, we'll take it. it from here. Okay, I have a thought on this. I have a thought on this. Robinhood did just announce layoffs the other week. 11% of their staff, something like that. But I'm also noticing that they're pivoting more towards crypto. They just recently hired like a crypto editor for the Robinhood Snacks, which is like a media brand that they associate with themselves. And then now we have like this new development where they're trying to make the wallets a little bit more easy to use. They're supporting more assets. And they're also doing like this zero fee thing, which eventually is going to totally wreck them. But for now, they're really trying to get some like more uh, users to, to come to their casino show. Interesting to see <laughs> them do that at the end of a market cycle. And just as you noted, Zach, like Coinbase is opening up its wallets. Its wallets are notorious for sucking up users' funds because people think that you can send funds to a Coinbase wallet in the same manner that you can any other Bitcoin or Ethereum wallet. That's just not the case. They use their own proprietary method. And a lot of times people do lose funds through that. And then Ledger here is basically doing like what it's always doing, which is like just adding more users and adding more, like I don't know, like systems for, for people to be able to move between like cold wallets and, and normal on-chain apps. So we kind of have three stories playing out uh, where we have like, Coinbase doing its thing, like trying to fix its broken problem. Ledger doing its thing, just like cold wallet, pretty boring, simple. And then Robinhood trying to be aggressive in the midst of market downturn. 
So I see these stories as very separate, even though they're just like, it's a boring wallet story maybe at the end of the day, but you are seeing like three different companies make three different different pitches here. Wendy, I'll throw it up to you for your take. Very simple take on this. I believe it was last week that was announced that Sam from FTX had invested into Robinhood. So this kind of makes sense that they're going to be integrating and doing more crypto friendly things. I personally don't really care for Robinhood because I saw all of the drama that happened on TikTok. I was reporting on it. It was absolutely crazy. But I think that this is, I feel like Robinhood is going to eventually be acquired by FTX at some point. So this does seem very on brand. And one of the reasons why is you need to look at their user base. Robinhood offers stocks that makes it very easy and accessible for anybody to trade, especially during the panorama. We saw everybody go towards stocks or towards crypto. And now with the actual integration of a wallet or some sort of wallet or custody on Robinhood. I think this is good for crypto long term. And I do think that they will be acquired by FTX in the long run at some point. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I think also just zooming out, there's a really interesting little kernel. I think it was in the ledger story. Something like 95% of, say, 300 million uh, cryptocurrency users worldwide haven't really exited the walled garden of the exchange, right? Most people who interact with crypto interact with their wallet, which is an exchange account. And the people who are sort of that 5%, that advanced user uh, base, those are the people who are interacting with you know, a thing like MetaMask or a thing like Phantom on the Solana blockchain. Those are the things that follow you around the internet and let you tap into Web3 in new and inventive ways. So the idea here that Robinhood is trying to enter that market is potentially interesting for uh, the future of crypto. But again, that's only like a, the small sort of power user set that's using these you know, browser-based extensions to get around the web and to plug into DeFi platforms and stuff like that. So the flip side of the Robinhood thing is this Coinbase thing, which is saying, okay, those 95% of people who interact with crypto through their exchange accounts, they are making it so that some select set of users can use those exchange accounts to play in the wilds of DeFi. So there's kind of this interesting sort of tension going on about who's trying to move the needle in which direction. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But those are my thoughts on that. Jan, do you have any final thoughts on the wallet wars since you coined it? No, I'm just looking forward to that wipe the next time we talk about it. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Aave. Aave, Aave, Aave. Interesting DeFi protocol known for lending and for its very tall and intelligent leader, Stanley Kulichov. I think I butchered his last name there, Zach. You can correct me. Uh, but they're launching a new oh, protocol. That was true. Which, oh, cool. I nailed it. Stuck the landing. Nice. That's perfect. So Aave has been working behind the scenes on a new protocol that's supposed to be used for social media, almost be like a Twitter, but for Web3. It's called Lens Protocol. They've announced its arrival. It's going to be on Polygon, which is basically a chain built on top of Ethereum. So it has cheaper transactions and it's a little bit faster. They've announced a grant program for about $250,000 for anyone who wants to be able to use it. And they've launched with about 50 different applications on top of this protocol as well using NFTs as a mentor. A lot of people have been talking about this protocol coming to light for a while. Aave has been actually decently public about like their ambitions to use Web3 to take over Twitter and build something that's an alternative to Twitter. A nice cap on this story from about a week ago was when Stani from Aave was booted from Twitter for tweeting that he was the quote-unquote interim CEO Twitter, which the mods did not respect. So they took him off Twitter for a little bit. Uh, it was a nice little head nod for a week later when he launches protocol. Zach, I'll give it to you. Interesting to get your take on this. I'm just sad because I didn't sign like the launch letter or something with my wallet mm -hmm. like two months ago. So I couldn't mint a profile on Lens Protocol. I'm just sad about that. I'm missing out. I'm having FOMO. 
it is interesting and doff of the cap for the the marketing growth hack on the uh, on the Twitter ban. Going to Twitter jail ahead of this product announcement, masterstroke. Interesting to see if that's going to fuel engagement, but it really speaks to again that big idea premise of what decentralized social media can be. One man's funny shit post is another moderator's impersonation attempt. And in some instances, it's good to have a moderator with a, a thumb on the finger, a thumb on the ban button. But in others, like it's not great. The whole Twitter jail episode with Stani sort of illustrated some of the big ideas that are behind things like Lens Protocol. Of course, the question is, are people going to use it? Are people going to migrate there? Right now, crypto Twitter is kind of popping. That's where the party is. Are people really going to go to this other thing, this offshoot late on a Friday night and try to make a conversation happen among the three other people who signed their wallets to the whitelist? I don't know. It's It, it, it could happen. It might work. Are we doing that but here? But for though? now, Twitter is the giant in the room. But anyway. Are we doing that here? It's just a couple of us talking without a whitelist. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Chip. I guess so. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> It's an interesting observation. I zeroed in on that exact thing, Zach. Like, how do we get people to use this? Like, the intention is great. And I think that it was really hilarious that Stani got booted from Twitter just a week before this news came out. I wonder if he was trying to get booted or if it was all coincidence, but just like marketing. So the story talks about bringing developers into the ecosystem so that they can build their own decentralized social media networks where users fully own their data. Now, I think it's also so important to bring educators, storytellers, and marketers so that people can tell people why it's important to own your own data. I think there are so many people operating in the Web2 world who don't really understand how it's beneficial to them. And I think the two most important narratives come when we talk about monetization and privacy. And so I think it's great that we are attracting developers. We need people to build the things, but we also need people to tell the stories. And so I hope that we see a focus there. Wendy? With you. What do you got? I, yes. Yeah, I just want to say we've seen so many different decentralized social media platforms come into play. And all I care about at this point is seeing which one is going to be the savior. Because as far as I'm concerned, if and when Elon Musk does in fact acquire Twitter, I do think he's really going to push it and make it like a crypto Web3 type of platform. We're already kind of seeing some of those ideologies play out with some of his most recent tweets. He is the most epic poster on Twitter. And he also reminds me of that kind of weird uncle, but that's another story. Anyways, um, I'm just excited to see who uh, prevails. Actually kind of interesting okay. what you're going to say there, but uh, we can leave it for oh, later. <laughs> it's interesting. He's just, you know, when you go to a family party and you have like that uncle that's just like there and he's just kind of like... I was just like, imagining your family party and Elon, like an Elon-esque character i mean okay because i always i have i'm friends with a lot of musicians and you know my sisters we all have like interesting friends so when people come over to my mom's house for like thanksgiving or whatever holiday it is it's always like a very unique group of people and i can just see like elon musk walking through the front door just being like hey can i get some pasta and some meatballs and my mom being like go sit at the stairs you didn't wash your hands i don't know just repeat i don't know we love it. We love it. Interesting turn. We love it. That was a beautiful. That was a beautiful <laughs> painting of. I love that. All right, we're gonna we're gonna shut it down. There's no topping that. That's the show today. We'll we're going to Wendy's mom's house for some pasta. For meatballs. And some meatballs. Y'all are welcome. Yeah, pasta meatballs. Controls in. Control is in. Control is in. All right, that's it for the show today. Thanks for watching the hash. I'm Zach Seward. That's Wendy O. We got Jenny Sanasi. <laughs> Jenny Sanasi. Wendy O. 
Will Foxley over there. Sorry, I'm backwards. All right, that's it. On the podcast, you wouldn't have seen that. You wouldn't have seen me looking silly. So go check that out. It's on the podcast network. Give it a listen. Give it a spin. Just the audio, none of the visual. All right, that's it for the hash today. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for watching Coindesk TV. You have a great day. Good times. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.